Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 19. Before we had projectors to project uh, the words of the songs we sang on the screen, they had them printed in a book. It was called a hymn book. And every church had hymn books so that everybody could sing together. It was in print. One of the problems with hymn books is once they were in print and it cost some money to buy all those books, nobody wanted to change the books. So you were kind of locked into the songs you would sing and there wasn't any room for any new talent, any new musical styles, any, any new leading uh, to come into the church. So I'm glad we have this modern format that we can change from week to week. But before hymn books, the church got together and kind of chanted. They would chant simple choruses that uh, didn't, you didn't have to be able to read. You could be illiterate, as many of our ancestors were, and still be able to sing together song to the Lord. And before the chants, they had the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the original song book, hymn book. It's the way people expressed their worship to God. And I want us to today, and actually for the next couple weeks, except for the VBS week, that's kind of special, um, we're going to look at some portions of the book of Psalms and remind ourselves on how originally the people of God expressed their worship to Him. So we're going to look at Psalm 119 in our, in our Bibles. And uh, in this psalm, there are six different terms for the Word of God. And with each of those terms for different names for the Word of God, there are six natures of the Word of God. And also six results of applying the Word of God to our life. So when we're, we're reading the Psalms, we're, we're kind of reading poetry, a Hebrew poetry. You see, poetry today has got to rhyme. If it doesn't rhyme, you know, it's just not poetry in my book. But back then, they weren't looking at rhyming. They were looking at creative expressions, uh, poetic type uh, expressions of how to, to worship God. And in this case, in verses 7, 8, and 9, we, where we find these six different references to the Word of God, I want us to spend a little time reflecting on that. Not so much the poetic way they say it, but what it's saying to us and how we should value God's Word. And if you, if you didn't know, this is God's Word. We call it the Bible. It's God's written Word. It's how He has expressed what He wants us to know, what we need to know. This is it. And the deeper you get into it, the more you see patterns and types and shadows, and you see it all weaving together. So let's start with the first half of verse 7 and see the first of these seven I want us to see. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. What he calls the Bible is the law of the Lord. And its nature is that it's perfect. And what it does for us is it refreshes the soul. Actually, I'm going to use the word restores the soul. 
And I'll tell you why in just a minute as soon as I get my notes opened up. Okay, it restores the soul. The word restores, the verb here about what the Bible does for us when we read it, when we allow it to speak into our lives, it, it's the, the Hebrew word shuv. I don't know anything about Hebrew, but I do know how to work the resource books that I have on my bookshelf. And I looked up that Hebrew word shuv, and what it means is to return or turn back. What the Bible does is it causes us to turn or turn back. It brings correction. The NIV, which most of us have, uses the word refreshes. It refreshes the soul. The New King James used the word converts. It converts the soul. But I think, in my mind, the closest to the actual meaning of the Hebrew term is what the New American Standard uses when it says it restores the soul. So that's, that's the blank. I'm, uh, you can fill out there if you want to in your outline. It restores our soul. To have something restored means we have to turn around. To turn means we're going in a certain direction. To turn means I, w I was walking this way, and now the, the law of the Lord, what God says to me out of His Word, suddenly makes sense to me. I realize I'm going the wrong direction. I turn around and I go back. I turn back. That's, that, that's similar to what the word we use, repent. To repent means to change the mind. You can force somebody to change their behavior like us parents have to do with our kids, but you can't force them to change their mind. That's got to be a willful thing. If you don't change somebody's mind as soon as you're not around to catch them, they'll go back and do it again in the dark, in the quiet, in the private. But repent means to change the way you think. In Nehemiah chapter 8, there's an amazing story about uh, Nehemiah calling all the people together in Jerusalem. And so they all came together, crowded around. It says every, everyone who could understand. I presume that means adults, men and women, all those who could understand. They all came together in this big convocation. And then the priest got out the book of the law on a scroll and began reading it and started early in the morning and without a break read and read and read and read the words of God, the law, what God had spoken, the Old Testament. And scattered around among the people were teachers who would explain to the, that cluster of people they had what the words meant. It's one thing to get your Bible out and read what it says. It's another thing to understand it. So they had teachers whose job it was to take the Word of God and apply it to relevant life in their day and age. And as they were all, all morning long as he was reading the Word, people began to weep and sob and cry. Until Nehemiah had to get up in front of everybody and say, wait, 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 wait. This is not a time to cry. This is a time to rejoice. This is a time to celebrate. We are learning what God's Word wants us to do, how He wants us to live our lives, how He wants us to change. This is a celebration time. We have the Word of God that tells us what God's will is. 
So when it came, after they, they read all morning long and they dried their tears, they killed the fatted calf, they sat down and they had a great big party. It was a celebration. Reading this book should be a celebration, not some boring task. I just want to turn my TV on to get some excitement. This book is so boring. It's because we don't understand what we're reading. If we understood what we were reading, it would excite us because this is God speaking to us how to get His favor in our lives. Somebody say amen. amen. Celebrate. It, re it restores my soul. That's the first thing we learn about the Word of God. The second one is in the last part of verse 7. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The simple. I wonder if there's another word we could come up with to substitute for simple. Might be a little kind of <coughs> makes wise the stupid. Because I think there's a few of us in this room that would say, I've done some really stupid things in my life. Some really stupid choices I've made. Makes wise the simple. That's the blank there. It makes wise the simple. This is valuable to me because I consider myself a simpleton. Outside of what I've learned about God, my mind is as worldly as the day is long. I think like everybody else thinks. See, I, I got a great education on how to deal with life issues in kindergarten. And then on in elementary school, I polished it up. And in high school, I really made the thing shine. I knew how to make things happen in this world. I was a worldly person. It wasn't until God came into my life that I began to get a little bit of wisdom. You see, I, in my nature, am a simpleton. I don't know ding-dong about the ways of God. But He has to show me His ways little at a time, one step at a time along the way. Because reading the Word of God and understanding how God thinks and how God relates to people in this world is to understand His ways and if I understand His ways, now I can practice His ways. If I don't understand them, I can't practice them. It's to see God's plan right before our eyes. To see what God wants us to do. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 1, the preacher says, Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. A person's wisdom, when we understand things from God's perspective, it changes our countenance. It changes our disposition because we become people of hope. We expect God to come through in our life. We don't understand why we're in these dilemmas, but we know God is a good God and He's going to take us through to the other side. If you have wisdom, you know that. If you don't know that, because you've seen enough hard knocks in life, you don't have the wisdom of God. And it's God's Word that gives us that wisdom. Amen. There's a story in the Old Testament 
about an old experienced priest by the name of Eli. Eli had served God his whole life. He knew how to do it. And he took this, uh, this young boy named Samuel under his wing. He became a mentor for Samuel. And Samuel lived where Eli lived, and, they, and he, he, he taught him, and, pra and he did things with him, kind of mentored him along the way. And one night Samuel, the boy, was laying in his, in his bed, and he heard this voice, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel jumped out of bed and ran over to, to Eli's bedroom, and he said, here I am. What do you need? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel goes back over, lays down in his bed, lays there, tries to get back to sleep, and pretty soon he hears it again. Samuel, Samuel. So the boy jumps up and runs over to Eli, and he said, here I am. What do you need? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Get some sleep. Quit bothering me. So Samuel goes back, gets back in his bed the third time, lays there, hears it again. Samuel, Samuel. Jumps up, always faithful, runs back over again. Eli, here I am. What do you need? And Eli's finally getting the clue now. He said, Samuel, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And if you hear that voice again calling you, say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to say to me? So the boy went back over, got in his bed, laid down. Before he got to sleep, he heard it again. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel this time stayed in his bed. And he said, here I am, Lord. What do you want to say to your servant? And God began giving him a prophetic message of what God was going to do to the nation in rebellion. He was going to bring judgment, and there was going to be great chaos in the country. And Samuel kept it to himself. He said, I can't go to the priest and tell the priest what God showed me. I can't go tell anybody. I just got to keep this to myself. <clears throat> the next morning, Eli, who himself no doubt longed to hear a word from God, says to the boy, Samuel, what did the Lord say to you? Now what's Samuel going to do? So he opens up and he tells Eli exactly what the Lord told him. And Samuel, I'm paraphrasing, he said, Lord's will be done. He knew he couldn't change it. That boy, Samuel, who talked to God, had more wisdom than Eli, the experienced priest. That tells me that the Holy Spirit of God can speak to young people. He can speak to new believers, sometimes in a clearer voice than us older, experienced, polished up Christians. God sometimes wants to get a hold of somebody that's not set in their ways so he can do a new thing. So he makes wise the simple. Here's the third. It's in uh, verse 8, first part of verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right or righteous, giving joy to the heart. This is a contrast to what we typically think. We typically think, tell me about the grace of God. Don't tell me about the rules. I don't want to hear about the rules. Maybe, maybe you're like me, maybe not, but I'm just a little bit of a rebel when it comes to the rules. 
If the speed limit says 70, I know I can get away with 72, 73. They never stop anybody for doing 72, 73 on a 70, right? So I like to bend the rules, stretch them as far as I can. And if you're kind of thinking, shame, 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 you're lying to yourself. <laughs> we all like to bend the rules. It rejoices the heart. To understand what God's rules are, how God gives us favor and withholds His favor, if we understand what the rules are, then we can play by the rules. If I don't know what the rules are, I can cheat and I don't know I'm cheating. I have to understand the perimeters. I have to understand the rules of the game, how to play the game. And that's why He's given us the written word so that we can study it and understand what God is saying. Understand what His will is. In uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it says, Anxiety weighs down the heart. We all know about that. But a kind word cheers it up. A kind word cheers it up. I said to everybody last night, I need a kind word. I need some cheering up. And I never had so many people tell me what a good job I did preaching after it was all over with. Everybody's <laughs> trying to cheer me up. A kind word not only cheers me up, a kind word cheers you up. I need to be around kind, positive words. Where can I find a positive word in this word, in this negative world? Right here it is. Amen. To read about what Jesus did for me? To read about God sending His Holy Spirit? To read about the grace of God giving us favor we don't deserve? That is amazing. That cheers my heart up. It encourages me. I need to know I'm not doing this alone because if I'm doing this alone, I'm sunk. I need a higher power going through life with me. Amen. Hopelessness steals our joy. To have our hope taken away robs that inner joy God intends every Christian to have. We, we should be the most optimistic people on the planet because we know God goes with us and He opens doors and He sets the rails up for our life to run on. And I don't go things, through things alone. The New Testament, Jesus said that angels in heaven rejoice. They have a party. They celebrate when one sinner repents down here on the earth. Just one. So just takes one. Doesn't take a big revival. Just takes one. And the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Why? why? Why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because that one sinner is God's hope for the world. God only does things through you and I. He does no miracles except working through people like you and I. Ordinary, simpleton people like us who need the power of God in our life. Then he does great things. God is my hope, but I have become his hope. You and I, together, we are his hope. We're the only avenue he has of making a difference on the planet. It's kind of like going to a doctor because you got some problem. You go see the doctor and the doctor checks you out, does a bunch of tests and says, oh, you got, this is your problem. This is what we call it. And the best fix for that is to take this 
pill or this supplement or to do, go through this therapy to do something to fix this ailment you, you brought to me. Well, suppose we went to the doctor and the doctor gave us the solution and we, we, we paid money for the solution, but we never did it. We never took the medicine. We never took the supplement. We never did the therapy. How are we going to get any better? We need to listen to Dr. Jesus and what he has to say about how to make our lives better. So somebody say amen if you believe that. All right, let's go to number four because the clock's ticking. This is the last part of verse eight. The commands of the Lord, another word for the Bible, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Here's the blank. It enlightens my eyes. It enlightens my eyes. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. You know what he's talking about if you've ever been outside in the dark or even in your house when the power goes out and there's no lights anyplace. You know what it is to walk in the darkness and how you need some kind of a guiding light, some kind of a lamp to your feet. You need a flashlight. You need to get your iPhone out and hit the right button, which I don't know how to do. But get that light. You need some illumination, and the Word of God enlightens our eyes. It shows us how to deal with rejection, how to deal with opposition, how to deal with failure, how to deal with relationships, with knotheads. The Bible gives us this information. If we don't know what it says, we're going to do it the world's way every time. We need to learn how to do it God's ways. A little bit later in Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I read that and I was, I've been thinking about that since I put this message together last week. The unfolding of your words. And I realized this is what God has called me to do. I'm not very good at other things, but I'm pretty good at unfolding the words of God. What does it mean in the 21st century? What does this mean for your situation? What does this mean in your work environment? What does it mean for your service to God? I want to take the deep things of God and I want to unfold them. I want to open them up so that simpletons can understand that. And, and listen, in the Old Testament, there's this amazing story of how God led Israel on their wilderness journey. He created a pillar of cloud. All day long, they would see this cloud. And when the cloud moved, they followed it. Wherever the cloud went, that was the presence of God, the Shekinah glory. Wherever that cloud went, that pillar of cloud, they followed it. When it stopped, it didn't make any difference how antsy they were. They had to stop and wait. When it moved, didn't make any difference how comfortable they were. They had to pack up and follow it because that was the will of God. Wherever he, he led them, that's where they went. But when it got dark, that pillar of cloud became a pillar of fire. And it glowed in the night. Day and night, God led them. I want us to hang on to that because day and night, God will lead us. There are times 
if, well, if, you, if you can receive it, this is a word from God. There are times when you have a dream and it's God solving your problem. When you have a dream and you wake up first thing in the morning and say, oh, that was an amazing dream. Stop and think, how does that relate? How does that relate to what I'm going through? Because God leads us by His light. He enlightens our understanding both day and night. So why wouldn't the Spirit be as, as involved in my life at night as He is in the daytime? Think about that. Here's number five. I got six of these, so I got to keep moving. Number five is the first part of verse nine. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. It endures forever. That's the blank you need to have there. It endures forever. You know, some things are permanent, like mountains, the pyramids, the moon, sin nature. You would think, you would think that after some generations of learning the result of sin, we wouldn't have a sin nature problem in our world anymore. But it's just as big today as it was in the dark ages. All of us are born into the world with a sin nature. It's got to be bridled. It's got to be controlled. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He can help us control that. And the other thing that's permanent is God. Never changes. Stays the same. Your hairstyles change every 10 years, but God never changes. He stays the same. So I can go back and I can read stories like this from the Old Testament, and it explodes with new life, new revelation, new insight for me every day. It's new every morning. Every generation has a new experience or a new opportunity to experience God. Boy, this is good news. I'm preaching to myself. It endures forever. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, it says, you need to persevere. You, that's you and me together. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, see, it's an action. It's not what you believe. It's what you do. It's when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised there's a promise he has in our lives for doing the will of God. And we need to persevere. We need to endure. We need to hang on. Just because I didn't see the result today doesn't mean there's not a result in reserve for me. Sometimes what I need to learn is patience. How many need to learn patience? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It never gets old. Sometimes words change their meaning. And that's why we're always looking for some new updated version of the Bible. Because words change their meaning with time. But the word of God stays the same. Amen. Whether he says it clearly or whether it's hidden. And we have to read between the lines and compare Scripture to Scripture to come up with 
the, the, the true thing he's teaching us. Proverb 12, 7 says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. It stands firm, the house of the righteous. Um, here's number six, the last part of verse nine. The fear of the Lord, oh, I read that, last part. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. The decrees of the Lord, they're firm. They, God's not wishy-washy. We're kind of wishy-washy. We're always looking for a loophole. But God didn't design the expression of His will for us to find loopholes. It's firm. We just need to discover what His intent was when He first wrote it. And the more we get into the Word, the more we see that. It leads to righteousness. That's your blank. It leads to righteousness. God can't deal with sin. He cannot deal with rebellion. He can only deal with righteousness, purity, holiness. That's why God sent His own Holy Son, Jesus, to this earth to identify with our sin and pay for it on the cross. He paid for it on the cross. He paid for what? Your sin that He identified with. Our sin. It's paid for. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Did you know that? Then, then why do we act like we're still under that condemnation? He's delivered us from that. The decrees of the Lord are firm. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seems, remember that word, seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It seems so right. Everybody else is doing it. It just seems to me in my fallen nature, that this is the right way to go. But the end thereof leads to death. It doesn't make any difference how you start the race. It's how you end the race that matters. How are you going to end up? The fact that you said a sinner's prayer and accepted Christ as your Savior, that's the beginning. That's, that, that's like getting up to bat. The question is, how many of us are going to cross home plate? How many of us are going to stay faithful around the turn? Because there's a lot of twists and turns on the journey. There's a lot of hurtful things happen on the journey. The question is, can we endure? Can we hang on? Can we follow up all the way to the end so that He can reward us at the end? Okay? Now let me kind of wrap it up with this, because this is really poetic. What he says in verses 10, verse 10 is really poetic. They, the expressions of God, the different words of God, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Isn't that poetic? Everybody ought to say, aww. And then he says in verse 11, he says, By them your servant is warned. Now he, he leaves the sweet, precious side. And he gets into something serious. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them 
there is great reward. He said, he said opposite things right there, ties them together. That's Hebrew poetry. It's given us a When I read this book, it gives me a warning. Look at the people who have messed their lives up. Read the Bible. It's full of people who have royally messed their lives up. But if we keep reading, it's the stories of people who have messed their lives up and saw God turn lives around. That's called grace. He's a God of grace, amazing grace. He's still a God of grace. We still live in a fallen world that's full of hurt and pain. We still live in that world, but we still have a Savior that loves us and gives us his word of hope that we can hang on to for a better future. Amen? Amen. That's what I believe the Lord put in my heart. We're going to call it trail markers because the word of God marks the trail. Let's stand together. It was a good thing when they, when they started striping highways. You know, people, people driving after dark, it's hard to see where the road is and where it isn't. But they started painting these stripes down the center of the, of the road to tell you which side to stay on. And then they got even smarter and they started putting these markers on the outside. That's especially helpful when you have about six lanes of traffic you're trying to maneuver through. You're supposed to stay in your lane. They mark the lane. They mark the trail so you know where to go and where not to go. That's what the Bible is. It's a trail marker. It marks the way. It shows us what lane to stay in. We need to quit shifting lanes because somebody else is driving in the other lane. We need to stay in the lane God's placed us in because that's the track he set up for us. And the reward is at the end if we stay in our lane. Amen. That makes sense? But it comes back to this for all of us. Have we really got in the lane he wants us to run on? Have I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ? Have I opened my heart to the Holy Spirit? Am I allowing God to lead me and guide me the direction he wants me to go? Because if you haven't done that, you're not in the game yet. That's how you get up to bat. So I would encourage you, if your life's got some things kind of stink in it, this is what you need to do. You need to open your life up to Jesus and watch what he wants to do in your life. Watch and see. Watch and see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we've, we've been reminded in this very poetic way about the word of God having such value to us. What it does for us in the 21st century, a world that we think of being enlightened, but we see all kinds of chaos. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to find a way of peace that comes from doing things your way and having you lead and guide our lives. So make us your followers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go with God. He loves you. If you have a prayer need, bring it to the front. We've got some prayer partners that will pray with you.